Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America Podcast. This is J.J. Cooper and John Manuel, your usual Baseball America Podcast crew. Now we've kind of settled into a nice uh, rhythm here. We yeah. have. Uh, we haven't figured that out for the radio show yet, <laughs> you know, mostly because yeah. in, the, in the office we can just come back to the back and, and talk. Hey, you want to do a podcast? Sure, let's go back there. What but, are we going to talk about? We'll figure it out. Yeah. But we can't exactly do that for a Sirius XM radio show every Sunday night at 7 o'clock Eastern time. Plug, plug, plug. That's right. But, and speaking of plugs, we do want to also remind you that the uh, 2012 books are are here. We're the last one we're 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 waiting on, but it should be here shortly. The super register, the the granddaddy of them all right. in size and scope. It's if you haven't ever seen a super register, it's the statistics and transactions for everyone in the affiliated minors for their entire career, and last year's indie ball stats all if in one book. If you're a broadcaster of any stripe, you got to have the super register because it helps you with prep. Uh, having done some broadcasts, <laughs> there's no player who's going to pop up unless they're drafted that year that's not in the Super Register with their entire career statistics. And I know that they're ba- I know BaseballReference.com does that as well. And we do too. And, and we do it at our website as well. They're all in our database. And if you're a subscriber, you do get the transactions there. But That's it's the difference. L- I was about to say that's the difference is if you don't have a Baseball America subscription, uh, but you have the book. The book has their entire career tra- transactions. So you see this guy was trained in 2006 for this guy or whatever. And the other key part is the indie ball stats because a lot of, especially if you're broadcasting at the AAA level, a lot of times you don't have what they've done in indie ball in previous years. We have the indie ball stats in there. So that's a, that's a separator. If you're, in the, if you're in the industry, the Super Register is a, a great tool to have. And if you're a hardcore fan and you just like to track players, uh, the, the hard, you, the, the and, super and we know we have awesome some of I, I don't know how many of them are our podcast listeners, but we, we we talk to fans who who like books, right? And if you like, that's right. If you like to have yours, most of them probably are not podcast listeners, but, as you said. But if you like to have your stats where you can sit and flip through them instead of clicking, the super registers the book for you as well. But all of our books, prospect handbook, the directory, the almanac are all here. Give us a call. Uh, 800-845-2726. Or go to BaseballAmerica.com slash store, and we will ship one right out to you. So, or three, or four. That's right. But sound, The Sound of Commerce, Ronnie McCabe's tape gun. But we wanted to uh, let you know today we're going to talk. We Our Major League Preview is the issue we've we've put to bed, and it's now out there. It's available on the digital edition. We just put to bed the Minor League Preview. We'll be talking about that probably in next week's podcast. Yep. But, but so we figured that we would – we're going to talk – it, we're going to put a prospect slant on it because we're Baseball America, but we did want to talk a little bit about kind of what we see happening in the big leagues this year. And with we, that, kind of... start, American League or National League? Let's start with the National League. All right, the National League. I mean, the story of the National League, obviously, uh, it's a, I, I would say the, the, the obvious thing is uh, the National League won your World Series last year with the St. Louis Cardinals, but you have you know, the, the, the National League MVP had this ridiculous offseason with Ryan Braun, and you had these two titans of the National League in Prince Fielder and Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols has been the best player in the National League for a decade, more or less. And, it's not, I don't and, think and it's Fielder, not even close. Like, well, I mean, before the first half of the decade, you would have said Barry Bonds. Since right. Barry Bonds' retirement, you'd say Albert Pujols. Uh, but Pujols and if you said Fielder player of the leave, decade, like it would yeah, be. Yeah, player of the last 10 years was, was Albert Pujols, and it's not that close. And then and, and Prince Fielder, they both leave the league. Uh, to me, it feels like the National League has opened up a little bit more for the Philadelphia Phillies, who uh, won a World Series in 2008 and have won the National League East for, what, five straight seasons? And at the same time, it feels like the Phillies' window is closing. I mean, it is. I think you're. I think that's fair to say because they've made so many trades to keep it going. There's not – I mean, the, the thing that's been impressed with the Phillies, I, I'm working on this long-term project and all, and – the core of this team, still, the core of the offensive component of this team, they all kind of came up together. Right. There's a lot of homegrown jokers in there. Chase Utley, J-Roll, you know, Ryan Howard, all those guys. Cole Hamels. Cole Hamels. The reality is, is those guys now, we're seeing with Ryan Howard. We're seeing with, we've seen it with Jimmy Rollins. Injuries now are not shocking with them because right. – they're they're getting a little older. They're really turning into kind of the Yankees. They've got the, I don't know who's going to come up with the core four, but I mean like Howard and Hamels and Utley and Rollins. Those four guys have been through pretty much all of this. I mean I know that Hamels came up 
several years after those guys. And Howard's a little later than Utley and Rollins, but not by much. Oh, yeah, Rollins was the first guy. Ro- Rollins was at the vanguard of this. So I got to see Jummy Rollins play in the South Atlantic League back yeah. in the 90s. So, I yeah, believe so he was I'd... a Piedmont Bull Weevil. Before I'm, they became I'm pretty like, sure he was uh, a Bull The same Weevil, franchise yeah. that is now the Kannapolis Intimidators. I believe he was a, a Bull Weevil. And I, think I remember he, played... he was extremely fun to watch in that league. Yeah, he was. I, I believe I saw him. If it wasn't 96, I'm going to have to check him out in our Baseball America Super Register. Uh, but, but I think he plug, played plug, for plug. Roy Matika, uh, whose name I always liked because in Greek, Mastika, spelled kind of like that, means chewing gum. Hmm. So I always wondered if his name was that, but I never asked him. I never had the guts back back then. I wasn't as ridiculous. Now John would have asked him uh, the first, if that had been the first question John would ask. It would have been, are you Greek? And does your name mean chewing gum? Um, yeah, he played for the Piedmont Bowl, which was in 97, so I actually would not have seen him that year. Um, I think with the Bull Weevils. I was. I was. I want to say that was the then. same year. If, if I remember correctly, that was the same year Raphael Fercal was in Macon, which I was covering the Macon Braves, and so it was. Maybe Fercal was not. I think Fercal was the next year because I think I think Speedy Fercal, as uh, James Bailey used to call him for us, I think 1997 was his big breakout year in the Appy League, and it, it, no GCL, and then Danville Appy League in '98. So he's '99. '99 was when he was in Macon. Okay, Braves so they're two games. years apart. Wow. And again, at that time, we thought he was what nineteen, and he was actually twenty-two. Right. He was legal then. He could have been drinking. <laughs> he could have been drinking at that time legally, and then driving afterwards illegally when they thought he was twenty and drinking and driving. So that is uh, kind of what, for whatever reason, that's what I always think of with Rafael Furcal. Um But yeah, I mean, to me, the Phillies—they uh, are I mean, Placido Polanco is new to this, but another guy who's older. Shane Victorino is like their youngest regular, and he's um, not young <laughs> uh, as far as a core guy. Um, that's why I really thought the last couple of years that Dominic Brown would really break through. It just Instead feels like it's been he John missed. Mayberry took his. Well, I think the thing is with Dominic Brown is a. I mean, I, three years ago, four years ago, whenever I first did our Phillies top thirty and ranked him as the number one prospect, uh, and I don't think other, I think most other rankings have like Michael Taylor and other you know, older guys. Dominic Brown, I remember writing that he had above average defensive tools, but he did not have above average defensive skills. And his defensive skills remain behind his tools. And not only that, but his aptitude, I think, is a, a defensively has been a big issue for him, J.J., because, I mean, you read about him just moving to left field from right field is difficult for Dominic Brown. It's not a smooth transition. That's one problem. And the other problem is the rest of their lineup is so left-handed that having Raul Banez over those three years, the last year and a half of Raul Banez really kind of blocked Dominic Brown and in the meantime, John Mayberry Jr. emerged. Here's another guy who was a two-time first-round pick. He's got physical tools that are similar, if not better, than Dominic and Brown's. maybe a little more aptitude. I, th- I don't even know if I'd say that. I think that he clicked with Charlie Manuel. Because he has been this dude for a long time. I mean, Stanford wasn't the team that ruined his swing. I think his swing wasn't great before he went to Stanford when he was drafted out of high school by the Mariners. Then at Stanford, it didn't get any better. I remember watching with Team USA, and that guy was the king of the foul ground ball down the third base line. You could get in his kitchen easily, and he's a big right-handed hitter. He's like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. That happens to those guys. Sometimes it's hard. For them. They always want to get their mm-hmm. hands extended. You can get, you can jam those guys. And it seems like Charlie Manuel was the one who finally unlocked things for John Mayberry Jr. I, and then I think the other part of it is that he just fit better. They're so left-handed. They needed a right-handed bat after Jason Wirth left. Uh, he fit their needs, so... He's incredibly crucial to, for me. I look at the Phillies for them going forward, but I, nothing's as important as I think they need to go out and pick another, pick up another infield piece, JJ. Just you know, someone who can fill in at right. second, short, third. Those guys are hard to find. But, but again, Jason Donald, whom they traded, and a great trade. The Cliff Lee trade was a great trade for them. Um, but Jason Donald was a homegrown guy who would have fit perfectly as a super utility guy for the Phillies, and they haven't found that next but, Jason Donald in their system. And the other thing right now is, is we don't know how many at-bats they're going to get out of Ryan Howard this year. Right. Uh, I, I like their chances to fill in to replace Howard a little bit better than I do at second or short or third. I, I think it's something they're still looking for one more piece there, whereas I know he's not going to play every day, but between Mayberry at first and they have some other outfield pieces, um, even if Juan Pierre is one of those pieces, and then um, you know Big Jim. Jim Tomey's got the, broken out his first baseman mitt, which is just awesome. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like they have the, the correct pieces to fill in there to hold off a very challenging National League East, J.J. That and division's taking a step up. By the way, so our, the thing that I think is probably, if you said, 
and this is not like we're completely out of left field on this or but but seeing the Nationals ranked as number two, you know, second in the in the East. Yeah, that was our pick. And it's still that we picked them second, and that's still when I first see that, it always takes me back a little bit because it's been a long climb. They haven't climbed it yet, but we're predicting the climb is going to start, you know, hitting the ascent this year, and it's been yeah. a long one for them. Yeah, they really haven't been relevant since the first half of 2005. You know, their first year when they moved to Washington, they were 51 and 31 at the break. Levon Hernandez was pitching like it was in you know, 1997. But even then, and it was like, the plate. Yeah. but they were 20 games right, over 500. Right. You knew it was smoke and mirrors, but they were still 20 games right. over 500. No, they were relevant, but that. yeah, you had to respect it. But I don't think that any of us thought that they were going to finish 30 games over 500 when the season was over. That's correct, and I, I, it is pretty amazing to see. Uh, my, you know, Mike Rizzo will not hesitate to tell you what a great job they've done in this rebuild because Mike Rizzo. I think he's a good evaluator, uh, but he likes to talk about what a good evaluator he is. Oh, hell, I'm not going to fault that. Uh, I, will, I want you to talk. Okay, but when you sign Jason Worth, you need to own that just as much as you, right, you, no, to, but, as you can take credit but, for hey, everything else. That's but, all I'm saying. But, uh, uh, but I love their pitching staff, J.J. That's why I think they're going to challenge the Phillies, because Steven Strasburg, Gio Gonzalez, and Jordan Zimmerman, the upside of those three guys that's is, a legit- is outstanding. And then when you have guys like Strasburg and Zimmerman, we're going to be watching their pitch counts and their comeback. They're both Tommy John surgery alumni. And you go out and sign an Edwin Jackson to be that veteran innings-eating ballast in the middle of it. And really, that's all he needs to be. He doesn't need to be, oh, man, I just wish we could recapture Edwin Jackson 2003. Everyone would like to recapture just that. Just put up a 3.84 ERA and make right. 35 starts. But you're, you're 33 looking, starts. And his durability is, is, has proven to be his greatest asset over his major league career. And he's... And, fla- and, 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 that, and that occasional flash of... 149 pitch, no hitter. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's, that's Edwin Jackson. Um, so they have the depth to overcome. The, they have. I, I was never uh, a believer in Chiming Wong from last year was pretty good for them. And, oh, we're going to really rely on Chiming Wong. He got hurt th- this week. I was never really counting on him. But they have the depth to overcome that. John Lannon, uh, uh, that's the role. He, that's the party was born to play, baby. Fifth starter. On and a contending team, bullpen. I think he can be that. That's solid right. And the other thing that, really, if you said to me what could be the differentiator between them and the Braves, who are we picked to be third in that division, if the Nationals come July are a piece away, you don't have any doubt that the Nationals, I don't really, I don't have a doubt that the Nationals would swing a trade, Correct. take on salary, Correct. and we're going to make this run. I have a complete doubt whether the Braves would say, okay, well, we'll take on salary to make a run. Yeah, I have no doubt that the Braves will not do that and the Nationals will if they need to. And I think we both know, J.J., the Marlins, if they're in the mix, that they will add. They've already shown. That, that's, the, that's the Braves, the, the weakness of the Braves now, which is hard to say because we're both children of the late 70s, early 80s is when, kind of when we became baseball that's fans. Right, that's right. And you, I still think of the Braves as being the superstation. A, a superstation big market team who went out and spent money. Spent it poorly in a lot that's of right. cases. Hey, Nick Osaski. <laughs> that's right. Hey, you know. Hey, but, Alex Trevino. Yeah, you know. Going but, back a little earlier. You know, Claudel, come on over here. <laughs> right. You know, but, but, but we, we think, I think of them that way. And the reality of it is, is now, if you look around this division, besides the Mets, who are in complete rebuilding mode and, oh, wait, how much money does our ownership actually have mode? Take them out of it. The other four teams who are in it, because I think you have to put the Marlins in it at the season starts. They're not. I don't I think, think. I think you have to put them in. I think they're. I think they're going to be. I think they're going to be in it for most of the year. They're pretty. They're pretty exciting. The Braves are the team right now that you say is the most salary limited of these four. Yeah, I mean the only team that's more limited than them is the Mets, and that's because of the catastrophe Let, that is their ownership. Let's put it this way, and this is not. This is not unique to the Braves because. The Red Sox are, in, I think, a pretty similar situation in that shortstop's a very important position, and both of those two teams, who are teams that are considered playoff contenders, have question marks at least at shortstop. In the Red Sox case, it's going to be okay. Who are, are we willing to say that Mike Aviles or Nicky Punto? Nick, don't forget Nick, Nick Punto. Punto. <laughs> are we Twins willing to make him going, at, Nick Punto? <laughs> are we going to make, or are we going willing to rush Jose Iglesias and say? I, you know, I, which my worry with that, I'll say this: Jose Iglesias, and I'll say this for Anderson Simmons also for the Braves. Those are the guys who; those are guys who spring training is the perfect showcase for. Correct. 
you're facing pitchers who are working on stuff. That's right. They're not setting you up. They're not sitting here going, okay, here's what I'm going to do to carve you up tonight. They're just going out to work on they're their thing. Their, they're getting their work. They're getting their work. If I'm working on fastball command today, I'm going to throw fastballs in when, whatever the count is. And so the hitting part, which is the, the real trouble for Iglesias, yeah. that part you don't really get a great read on in spring training. And you take that out of it, everything else he does is going to wow a big league staff. Yeah, and the Braves have kind of their own version of that. Tyler Pascal. Well, I would say Andrew, Andrelton Simmons has kind of right. been that version of that. No, for I'm Atlanta. saying he, that's what I'm saying. He's very similar in that Andrelton Simmons is. You're seeing it now. Pastor Nicky has not had a great spring. Right. Who Tyler Pastor Nicky right now, I, I think is is not only the Braves shortstop, but they don't really. I, I don't think that Plan B is their Plan B is right now. Sounds like you have all these fans asking fans right now, but fans asking is Andrelton Simmons ready? I feel confident in saying the answer to that, no, 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 Yeah, I don't no. think he's ready. He I was really – people in the Carolina League were impressed with him last year, ran him up the list pretty high, but at the same time, you weren't talking to anyone, scout or manager, who saw him in the Carolina League last year and said, you know, this guy is really close to being ready for the big leagues. It was – he's got some work to do. Yeah, I mean, that said, I like Andrelton Simmons. Oh, I do too. Quite a bit, actually. Um, I think if he asked me which prospect I'd rather have, I'd rather have Jose Iglesias or Andrelton Simmons, I'd take Andrelton Simmons. Uh, me too. In a heartbeat. Um, but that being said, that being said, I don't think. I think he needs he, a full year double A. Yeah, even though he won the the batting title in the Carolina League last year, which makes me, which really does make me a believer. It's not an easy league to hit in. If you're a guy with hitting questions, or the the bat is the question, I don't think he's gonna ever have an impactful. I don't think he will ever be an impactful offensive player, but I think he'll hit enough, and the glove will be above average. He's going to be a big league regular. Cannon but, of an arm. I mean, right. he's going to be. Absolutely. He's going to be. He's the guy who's the plus defender. Who, you know what? You're hoping he bats he, that he can bat seventh for you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's a put the ball in play guy. I mean, but you know, who what? can so run some? Honestly, the Braves' other uh, option at, at, at shortstop right now, though he's injured, is Jack Wilson. Uh, and honestly, Anderson Simmons sounds like a. His pro career could be very similar now, to Jack Wilson's, maybe a little bit stronger let, arm. Let's say this, Pastor Nicky. That kind of career. The reason they're turning to Pastor Nicky, Pastor Nicky is a guy never going to have the glove that Anderson Simmons has. But the hope, if you're the Braves, is maybe a little bit better bat. And he is the kind of that, the all-round, you go, okay, he's a gamer. He's he's the guy you hope if it if if you're the Braves, you hope it turns around where you say, he made all the plays. Right. He wasn't a minus for us. Like He's not going to be a plus, Nicky. but he maybe, but he'll be, but he won't be a minus. That's your hope with him. Yeah, I like Pastor Nicky. I just think playing shortstop, playing shortstop in the major leagues for 160 games—that's that's hard. And uh, the fact that people aren't 100% sold on him, you know, I've only seen him play in the Arizona Fall League, and I was impressed with him in the Fall League. I believe that was in 2010. I don't think it was even in 2011. It was yeah, 2010. Uh, I like uh, Pastor Nicky's. Defense, I like his athleticism. I did see him in the International League last year. You know, he had one of the two hits in a game against Matt Moore. So he just showed me he had confident at bats against my very limited look. He had confident at bats against the best pitcher he was going to face all year. <laughs> you know, so I like his chances, but the, can he do that over 100-some games? That's why I have the Braves out of the playoffs, J.J. And honestly, I think I voted them fourth in the division behind the Marlins. Uh, you know, the Marlins have a lot more combustible – players when you have Zambrano, when you have, well, Zambrano by himself. But also, you know, he's less combustible for, he's combustible for a different reason, but Josh Johnson, I mean, guy can't stay healthy. The, the, I, don't, I don't think you can bank on him staying this healthy. This sums up what we were talking about with the salaries and all. You yeah. Know, we, in our, in our you, you saw available on the site right now, uh, you go to baseballamerica.com, go to the major season preview drop down. Uh, we did best case scenario, worst case scenario in the spotlight and biggest offseason acquisition. Philly's biggest offseason acquisition, Jonathan Papelbon. Yeah. National's biggest offseason acquisition, Gio Gonzalez. Yeah, pretty good. Marlins' biggest offseason acquisition, Jose Reyes. Bray's biggest offseason acquisition, Robert Fish. That was amazing. <laughs> I remember reading that, going <laughs> double take, and then going, wait a minute, and looking at their roster and saying, I think I agree that Robert Fish was their big a guy who's been ruled five once or twice. So, he's, been, someone, he's been on and off roster so, waivers a lot. Three teams are are, are bringing a, a cannon to that, and and the, and the Braves are bringing which, a dead fish. Are, <laughs> That's I mean, not nice. He's not dead yet. Yes, but, you are. Okay, so we better move on. Cause if we go this rate, we'll be a four-hour That's podcast. Right. So. That's right. I don't think some people will be upset with that. But, but uh, NL Central. 
Yeah, the National League Central lost a lot of star power. I think we're all agreeing that the Cincinnati Reds are the favorite there, and they had a great offseason, J.J. I mean, we like the Matt Latos deal. Uh, that's one of the reasons why you you know, have a good farm system. So you can par- – A, you want to have those players uh, you know, fortify your major league team, but B, uh, but there are lots of ways to do that. You they can do it by graduating to the major leagues, and they can do that and, via trade. I like and, the way and, the and I'll say this. This is the, qu- the answer to that question. We get this question with draft time all the time. But, you know, you're going to draft so-and-so because they already have this guy or whatever. And Jim Callis is, I think he has a macro now save where he can respond. You don't draft for what your needs at the big league level are. Right. Because if you do that, you're going to take players who aren't as good as the players you could get. The Reds are a great example of the that. Red, Just think of Yonder Alonso when they, they draft Yonder, they're The two guys, the two key guys they traded in that trade, Yonder Alonso, Yasmani Grandal, both of those guys, when they drafted them, were com- you could argue they drafted Grandal first round at catcher and oh yeah by the way they had just drafted not long before a first round catcher who's now going to be their catcher Devin right. Mesoraco and that that said in 2009 Mesoraco's career right. was a mess right but so and then at first base they drafted Yonder Alonso when Joey Votto was a blowing s- up no he was blowing up yeah. in 2008 he was just I mean I have a, his strat card right. that year is very good right <laughs> but their their argument was hey. We think this guy's the best guy, you know, that, and also with the parameters of, Reds always had the parameters of, that we could get in a deal that would qualify as a slot deal, all that. But that said, like, that draft was really funny, J.J., because they had a sh- clear shot at a college middle infielder in Gordon Beckham. Mm-hmm. And Jim Callis and I remember, we've talked about this over and over, with, uh, talking about Chris Buckley's track record. Now you can never draft enough middle of the diamond guys. He was the guy in Toronto where they drafted shortstop after shortstop after shortstop after shortstop. And yet Gordon Beckham, they didn't draft him. And he signed for less than Yonder right. Alonso. No, it think, was an easier and sign. I, and I do think that they thought that Alonso was going to be easier sign, and they just – Correct. But this, the, back but to the point – But it's worked out for right. them. And that's but the thing. Back to the point, though, is, is that – so they had these two guys who really – they tried a little Yonder Alonso left field experiment last year. That's not the greatest thing. But this is a way you do that. You say, okay, we have these other pieces. Right. And by the way, we can pick up a front-of-the-rotation starter for them. The one, the, one, the one thing I'll say, and I, I like that approach, and it definitely has worked for them. Uh, the one thing I'll say for the Reds is I do, you know, they seem so dependent, uh, whether that's their clubhouse or their lineup or whoever it is, they're very dependent on Scott Rowland. And they're not as dependent on Scott Rowland as the Marlins are on Josh Johnson, but it's not that far off. And I know they have the depth to overcome it. Right. But no, it's, they, it's, they better. They, it's a good thing they do, and that death better not be Miguel Cairo. But <laughs> I'll they, say this: they this, really this struggle when Rollins out of the lineup. Seems to be finally, and I do mean finally, seems to be the year that they're going. You know what? Maybe Todd Frazier yeah. is a better backup plan to Roland than Juan Francisco, and they're going to have a decision to make because Juan Francisco's out of options. So right, right. But Frazier's had a really good spring. He's gotten to play a lot of third base and. I think that if they had to, I think that that could be the start of finally Todd Frazier actually having a big league career, which is if Roland does go down, which at this point yeah, I, I think is a 50-50 option, I hand so the too. job to Frazier and say, okay, instead of saying that you're going to play four positions this week, right. you're going to play five days this week That's at right. third. Much improved bullpen also as well there with Sean Marshall coming aboard hey, and Ryan Madsen. I'll be fascinated to see what they do if a role is Chapman. You know, they're, they're talking about him as a starter. They've been using him as a starter this spring, but at the same time, they also don't really – they have five starters. I mean, it, this may be you spend a good bit of the year in AAA Louisville right. refining. I uh, I think their biggest challenger is the Cardinals. We picked that as a staff. We picked the Cardinals second. You know, they're a little bit better – and they're in better position to move on without Albert Pujols than I thought. Uh, obviously, a lot of that depends on – uh, a couple of veteran guys really staying healthy, and I'm I'm very worried just off seeing the end of the of last season. You know, Matt Holiday did not play up to his contract. Matt and Holiday now, has to be. Yeah. I think it's a little bit more pressure on him, but potentially that lineup's really dangerous even without pool holes because I love switch hitters. I love guys who are legit switch hitters, and the way he played last year, I don't know if you're going to get the same vintage big Puma like we got last year from Lance Burke, one of my all-time favorite players. But Berkman and Beltron in that lineup around Matt Holiday, that could be really dangerous and really fun to watch, J.J. I mean, obviously it's not the same as They're a high-risk, high-reward team, which seems strange. But they because are. we just talked about Roland, we're talking about guys on the other side of 30. Yeah. Significantly oh, yeah. on the other side of 30, where 
If you get a vintage Beltron year, if you get a vintage Berkman year. If you just get what you got last year from Beltron. Right. I mean, he was pretty good. Right. Then you're really getting something. The concern is is that you also, you your worry is, is that they go on the DL in May and then either they come back and they're just not there right. or you turn around and May turns into June, turns into July, and then you're going, oh, boy, we've, we've lost 100, you know, we've lost 50 games. Right. Me. And pitching-wise, this is a team that won 90 games last year and pitched well enough, obviously, in the postseason uh, on, on, with the starting pitching, and you're basically adding an ace, potentially, in Adam Wainwright. So we're going to see how Wainwright comes back. But I still think the Cardinals are very dangerous, despite not having pool holes. I think the Brewers um, not, did not necessarily uh, respond as well to losing Prince Fielder. That's a tougher one because he's pretty impossible to replace as well, just like Prince Fielder. Uh, I mean, just like uh, Albert Pujols, but a little bit different. They're not coming off World Series, a little bit different market, just a little bit different financial situation. Um, but I still think the Brewers are well they, – they've, they've reloaded they did fairly well. I, mean, I, like, I like some of the moves they made, and I like Matt Gamble. I think Matt Gamble is going to be uh, a solid average first baseman. I think he could hit 280 with 20 home runs. But the, the whole thing is- that made the Brewers – was the one-two punch. It was like Manny Ramirez and David Ortiz for the for So the really Sox. what they need is, is they need Aramis Ramirez to have an Aramis Ramirez year, too. And it's just not going to happen. I mean, and I like Aramis Ramirez, but that right-left part of it, that dynamic is lost. And that dynamic was a big part, to me, of the Brewers. They're very right-handed. Uh, Corey Hart, Ricky Weeks, uh, Ryan Braun, Aramis Ramirez, all their big batters are right-handed guys. And then, you know, other important position players for them are right-handed guys, everyday guys like Luke Roy and Escobar. So really they could use a left-handed bat. Really the only projected one in that lineup really is, is Matt Gamble. And uh, I think that's going to be tough for them to overcome. Now the, the question, those are I think the only three teams that we see really battling for the correct the, the, the division. Do the Pirates chance Pirates. for 82 wins this year? Uh, sure. <laughs> sure. I, I do think things, the biggest tangible sign for the Pirates turning things around for me is the, the long-term contract for McCutcheon, for Andrew McCutcheon. I mean, um, to me, I don't really think it matters. I mean, I know it's not a fantasy league, but it really doesn't matter if they win, if they go 500 or not. They just need to keep building and really figure out which pitchers especially are going to be part of the puzzle when they can contend, uh, and and find some position players because we know who they intend to build around. It's Jameson Tyone and Garrett Cole and Josh Bell eventually, and some of those guys. But uh, they're still in the sifting through process. You know, they're still having right. a little a little sifter and right. see and what comes and, through. And but it is true though. If they had lo- if they had not been able to re-sign McCutcheon, yeah, I mean, the, I why would you, you have long-term hope for that franchise? Right, because the reality is, is then you're telling your fans just just don't. I mean, yeah, just don't invest. You don't invest because because. When you see a star, they're just going to leave. In this you case, they sent a message saying, you know what? You've seen this guy come up, and the good news is you're going to see him for a while longer. I suppose you could see a best-case scenario where A.J. Burnett um, gets healthy from his uh, bunting incident and, and where Eric Bedard makes 20 starts. Is that best-case scenario for Eric Bedard, maybe? Um, but Charlie Morton, I mean, Kevin Correa, Jeff Carson, these guys are – this is what they should be doing, the, paying close to the But really, and we, we hit on it here you know, in, our, in the spotlight. Really what the Pirates need Pirates. is for Pedro Alvarez to be the Pedro Alvarez they thought they were drafting, not point. the guy who was. He was been, awful last year. He's been year. terrible. Yeah, he was awful. Um, first pick in Jim Callis' dream draft back in, uh, what was that, the prospect dream draft in March 2010, which we could talk about in a future podcast. But And, and like on there, that like pick. we do also, we did next first-time All-Star, and I think Jim wrote these capsules up, and he, 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 has, he has Alvarez as their next first-time All-Star. Jim has faith. I don't I, I, disagree. I have faith. I, I don't. I don't think he's going to be an all-star at this point. I don't think there's going to be enough. Third base is a tough position still in the uh, in the NL, and I, I I don't think it's tough. I still I do have faith in him. I mean, I'm, uh, who else do you have faith in to be a first-time all-star on that club? Uh, Neil Garrett Walker? Cole, Jameson Tyone. Oh, I, wow. I think those would be the first-time all-stars. I don't think that there's a guy who hasn't made an all-star game on their current roster. Now, hey, the rosters for the all-star game keep getting bigger. Right. You, everyone gets a guy. You I know. think Pedro Alvarez. Uh, you know, we talk about it with pitching. Um, I don't have as many tangible examples in my head of hitters, but I mean, like, if if, if Alex Gordon can bust out and break yeah, out you know and what? get better, I think that Pedro. But Alvarez you know what, can. though, 
Alex Gordon's first two years in the big leagues were so much better than Pedro Alvarez's. Well, Pedro Alvarez's first year in the big leagues was a 112 ops plus. Right. He hit he 16 home runs. He slugged right. 461. I mean, he his first yeah. year was fine. It wasn't great. There were some obvious, like, real questions. Wow, this guy swings and misses a lot. But, I mean, his first year wasn't a, wasn't a disaster. It was fine. Uh, his second year was a disaster. So I'm not ready to write off Pedro Alvarez. I'm not, ra- I'm not, even, seeing, I'm not even fully writing him off. What I'm saying, though, is, is that there's a difference between running off and thinking he could be a solid big league regular and say he's an all-star level guy. And I that's where I that, that's where I I just don't know. All it takes is one good half. <laughs> that's really all it takes is one good half. <laughs> Scott Cooper, all-star, exactly. you know, there are, you know, there are examples out there, yeah. Let's wrap up the National League and talk the West. I think the West is the hardest every year the National League West is the hardest it's one a fun to predict. division every year. Yeah, I picked the Giants and I guess the I think I actually had the Diamondbacks fourth and the Diamondbacks were the staff pick. And I understand that. They have nice starting pitching. I thought they overperformed. I thought they outkicked their coverage last year. And the um, Diamondbacks have been a, a feast or famine kind of organization. They're, they're erratic. They're kind of like, uh, they're kind of like a, a Kuiper Belt object. They have some erratic if they uh, things going on up there with some orbits. They're like, uh, they're like, there, they're yeah. like Sedna. But, but <laughs> I stayed home with my seven-year-old this week. I've got a lot of so, solar system knowledge to get out. So the thing with them, like, if they're going to do it this year, it's going to be, to me, it's going to be somewhat different. They're going to have to do it differently than they did it last year. I don't think you can say, if you're the Diamondbacks, we expect that we're going to have this dominant pen of what we pieced together last year. Josh Kalmenter is going to, you know, help lead. The, right. you were, what you're going to have this year, if they do it, is a full year of Goldschmidt, which... That's, that's Hopefully a, that's a solves because they were they were a, I mean they were a, a Grand Canyon at first base for the first half of the season. So that could appropriate help. Uh, metaphor for the Arizona Diamondbacks. That's what I was trying. Um, you know, you look I at it you were and say make a Jam Brewer joke, but you 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 look at that. You could say that they're going to be the uh, you know, that the the pitching staff. Hey, if Commenter or some of these other guys can't follow up their their success from last year, they have a ton. And I do mean a ton of guys not that far away. Right. Uh, to me, the thing that, that – that's actually their starting pitching. It's not that I don't have faith in those guys, but Daniel Hudson threw 222 innings last year. Ian Kennedy threw 222 innings last year. Joe Saunders threw 212 innings last year. Uh, I, I just don't see that happening again. I don't see them staying that healthy. And I, I, I believe in those guys. I like Ian Kennedy. You know, to me, Ian Kennedy is very comparable to Jeremy Hellickson. I've been saying that for a couple of years. Shortish right-hander. Not overwhelming velocity, but real feel to pitch, late life on the fastball. They both command the fastball, and they have good secondary stuff. You know, Ian Kennedy pitched way better better than I thought he could pitch, but, I mean, uh, I, I think he's a legitimate front-of-the-rotation guy when he's on. I just don't see him being that on, and Daniel Hudson, the same thing, for uh, for 222 innings again. That's just... Those are great seasons they both they had put together. Outstanding seasons. I just feel like those two guys are going to come back a little bit to the pack, and I felt like that starting pitching is really what separated the Diamondbacks from everyone else in that division last year. And I also feel like with a healthy Buster Posey, the Giants' starting pitching is what it is. I love the freak. I love you know I love Madison Bumgarner, Matt Cain. I think the Giants' starting pitching will be as good or better than I, what we have be, in Arizona. It, yeah. Should be better. Um, and I, I think their lineup's got to be better than it was last year. Well, I mean, they, a healthy can, Buster Posey will a healthy make Buster Posey, a big difference. And really, the other thing is just that, can we please give Brandon Belt 500 please. at-bats this year? Please. please. We're begging. Let's please find out what Brandon Belt who is the real Brandon Belt? I mean, we really would. Li- I would like to know. And as I said, we can't even say, you know. We right, don't know. We don't know because last year you can't, I mean, he was hurt, but beyond that, he was yo-yoed and all where it was like, we don't know what he, last year doesn't tell us much about Brandon Belt. We don't it, know much more about him now than we did a year ago. It really didn't. I mean, it, it told us that this is not a slap guy. I mean, his isolated power is almost 200. I mean, this is a guy whose power, that was the big question. The big question was, how much power does Brandon Belt really have? That was the question we had in his 2010 year. Is this guy another Thomas Neal? Uh, a, cow, a, a Giants pro- farmhand who has a big year in the Cal League and busts out like that. Um, now an Indians farmhand, by the way, Thomas Neal. I didn't realize that until like last week. Um, so is Brandon about that guy, or is he going to be for real? Is he going to be kind and of I, in this Pablo Sandoval, 
category of Giants prospect where maybe we're a little hesitant in some ways on, on uh, Pablo Sandoval. I, I wasn't. I was going to say. Oh, no, yeah, I, number I 15 say, the last year I did a Giants. Right, no, I'm waving the flag. I, I can't say Pablo Sandoval, but I was waving the Brandon Belt flag. And I, I believe, I'm a believer in Brandon Belt. You absolutely were. I, I was waving the Pablo Sandoval flag when he was in short season ball, JJ. <laughs> uh, he was one of my all-time favorite prospects. But uh, Brandon Belt, I think he's legit. I think the Giants. I actually think the Giants think he's legit now. Um, but that said, he has to go out and do it, and uh, Melky Cabrera has to go out and do it. And they have a lot of veteran guys Melky, who don't stay healthy. Melky Cabrera is a fascinating guy because if he does it again this year like he did last year, you all of a sudden have to start saying with him, wow, this guy is really a potential impact player. Yeah. If he has a bad year again this year, you say, wow, that 2011 season was, was as a- fluky as you'll ever see. That's right. Because it was an incredibly good season. Yeah, they have some guys on this team like Ryan Terrio and uh, <laughs> Melky Cabrera and Freddie Sanchez and Aubrey Huff. Where man, those guys could go any either way. There's a lot the of stat, disparity the between their best I've, years and their worst years. The stat that I love that that I enjoyed pulling out was, you know, just looking. They have been so reliant on veterans. Yeah. And there, that, that was a makes great stat. Th- that makes them boomer bust. Is that that's right? Great point. It makes them boomer bust because we were talking about this, like with the Cardinals. The Cardinals now are boomer bust because when you were relying on thirty four, thirty five, thirty six year olds, generally you're going to see a decline in those guys, right? Even if they're, you know, because they're on the tail end of their careers. But more than that, like uh, the Adam Dunn thing that we can that no one can explain <laughs> adam dunn adam dunn goes from being the guy who hits 40 homers every year to kenny be- rosenthal tried to explain today and kenny rosenthal wrote he does not believe there's any, obviously at foxsports.com he wrote that he does not believe there's any way that adam dunn is as bad as he was last year one would think that's hard to say, if he's as bad as he was last year he's out of the league he's out of baseball that's he's right. done i mean he's, he's gonna be uh, jose canseco's teammate down in mexico or right in, in well, not mexico because they yeah they kicked him out yeah but <laughs> Okay, moving on because this is a, a division that we do like the Rockies. They're, they're, I, I, we picked them third. I would have put fourth. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I did put them fourth behind the Dodgers. I like the Dodgers. I, I I'm problem with the Dodgers. People don't like the Dodgers. Well, there's a reason. There's a good reason. There are a lot of good reasons. One of the main one being Frank McCourt. Frank McCourt. Okay. And he's almost he's almost done though. But he's almost you know out. what though. This is going to get convoluted, and we don't need to go into this too much because I don't think people are tuning in for the business portion of the podcast. But right. Frank McCourt it doesn't want to give up the parking lots that surround Dodger Stadium. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Which, that's, that's going to get complicated. That's a, that's a good giant point. problem in that you do not – so if you are the new owner of the Dodgers, do you want to buy a team for a gazillion dollars because it's going to be a lot? Not one gazillion, thing Frank McCourt knows, it's parking lots. But do you want to do that and then know that you are at the mercy because – L.A., not a mass transit town. This <laughs> right. is something, if you say someone controls the parking lots around Yankee Stadium, they don't necessarily have you completely, you know, under their thumb. But control the parking lots around Dodger Stadium, and you're going to have to have good relations with that client because that person does control much of your ballpark experience. Yeah, that's a good point, and uh, I do think that's and I just don't think messy. So if that takes a while to finish up, right. The real problem with this is that, again, we talked about with the, you know, I don't think the Braves or the Mets are to this extent even. They're coming around till let's say we get to June or July. Hey, because they probably will need a piece or two. They're, I guess so and, that, that, that's where I was headed. They, I think they will need a piece or two. I do actually believe in some of their young guys. I, be, I like Nady Evaldi. I like D. Gordon. Um Obviously, Kershaw and Billy. I love Gordon. You're a bigger Evaldi. I, I still, the, if he can, if he can, I see him boomer bust because I just he worry about the command. Bust. He is boomer bust, but he has a real live arm. Oh, it's great arm. stuff. I mean, I don't remember which player it was that we talked to who was at Las Vegas last year, but when they, it was Brian LaHare. When we asked him, oh, who was that guy with the flat brim cap, <laughs> you know, on Albuquerque's team? And, uh, you know, Nady Evaldi was the guy whose stuff stuck out the most to him. And, uh, you know, obviously Matt Kemp, they have to keep their core guys healthy. I think the Dodgers are a sleeper in that division, and uh, they finished well last year. I I like the Dodgers as a sleeper. But to me, it's a two-team race, San Francisco and Arizona. I think San Francisco is going to win that division. It's the Baseball America podcast with John and JJ. we got some questions on the Twitter. At Baseball America or at John Manuel BA at JJ Coop 36. I think we might have to make this a two parter where we do the AL next week. We've we got, we got a lot we, of questions. We too. do have a lot of questions, and we do have uh, a meeting to go to. Um, JJ Joe LaCates, of course, asked a couple questions, but we'll get to those. Let's ask uh, Robert Zukowski 
uh, asked, does Brian Mattis look closer to the form that everyone thought he was, or is this a spring training mirage? I do think if you look at the scope of Brian Mattis's career, the Jonathan scope of Brian Mattis's career, <laughs> he is closer to, you know, the reports this spring that he hit 93 the other day, been sitting with average, solid average velocity, maybe a tick above for a left-hander. That is the course of Brian Mattis's career. That's what he has been. That's who he is. Last year was the aberration. Am I as confident as I was two years ago that Brian Mattis would be a frontline starter in the American League East? No, I'm not. I'm not as confident that he'll be a frontline starter. Do I think he can be a solid big league starter? Yes, I do. I do think that he's that last year will be the aberration in his career. We're not going to look back at it and but, chuckle like we do now with Roy Halladay, the record that he broke. But I do think Brian Mattis will be part of the solution in Baltimore, not part of the problem. But I think part of the problem is, is he, you know, let's just be honest, he's pitching in Baltimore, which has has had a a, a track record of, I mean, there's been a number of pitchers who you go, man, it, it's, it's been a struggle, more of a struggle than we thought. Not just pitchers, players. Players. I mean, all kinds of players who have just not been as good as we you know, thought, whether it's Nick Markakis or Matt Weiner or Adam Jones or Brian Mattis or whoever. The, the best Chris way Tillman. to put it is, is that every year you read in spring training, you read stories talking about how this year – the Orioles go, man, it was in disarray, so we're changing it and we're doing this. Right. And the next year you read another story where it says, wow, when we came in it was in disarray, so now we're doing this. And I just think you can see that when you look at the Orioles, the Mets, the Dodgers, you know, I was talking ownership to – Ownership matters. Ownership really matters, J.J. And I was talking to an, an agent Braves or an attorney even. the other day. Absolutely. Because uh, they have ownership that basically is kind of just yeah. – that's pretty much it. Um, but I was talking to an attorney the other day who represents a, uh, an injured minor league player, and he's trying to assess his prospect status. And he he was talking about this player, and he said he, he grew up an Orioles fan, and then he lived on the West Coast. He was a Dodgers fan. Now he's in South Florida. He's gonna be. He said like you know, I, I'm caught up with the Marlins stuff, and I just told him about you've been around some owners who are less than good, um, you know, less than savory, and at least uh, Jeffrey Loria. Um, it seems like he's interested in contending, whereas I don't think Frank McCourt really was that interested in contending. And I think Peter Angelos is, but at least uh, Peter Angelos those are three. Of, those to. are three of the lesser owners in baseball. Right. That's yeah, an I easy think Peter way Angelos to, wants those to are three contend. of the bottom five. I think he wants to contend, but he also re- wants to run his law practice and he wants to make the calls in baseball. Right, and that's that's the problem. Th- that's that's the problem. The the Frank McCourt the thing that jumps out if you go to our site right now baseballamerica.com, dot com and you go to the prospects page as you're listening to this. Ben Badler's rolling out a extremely in-depth uh, international signing reviews for 2011. Mm-hmm. But there's a stat that jumps out, like in one of the free charts. You don't have to even be a subscriber to see this. It's like talking about the money that was spent on international, on and really we should say take Cuban defectors out of it. Right. Take Mexican league purchases that we don't know the the money for out of it. Right. Because there are some of those. Like because you, well, you play the te- you pay the team. And sometimes right. you can pay the team for one player, sometimes you can pay the team for six players. You don't right. know which player so, got what. What we're really talking about is scouting Dominican, Venezuela, and all other Latin American countries in, in the area and all. The at the top end you have the Rangers spending like twelve million dollars. Twelve point eight three. You have a lot of teams that spend three, four, five, six at the yeah. bottom end, the Dodgers spent one hundred and seventy-seven thousand. Yeah, it's amazing. Which the teams at the bottom, JJ, are either teams that are at the bottom because they've had some kind of scandal, or because they've had they've recently been burned in Latin America, spending a lot of money. So the Dodgers Except had a scandal. No, they had a scandal, they, but it was Adrian Belter's a long time ago. But right. Adrian Belter, Willie Ibar, they were they banned had from scan- signing players right. for no, a full I, year. I, I, I follow that. Yeah, but, but then since then, they've had a hard time really getting back into it because of ownership and because right, they lost a say, lot of scouts. Right. It's twofold. There's more than say, one reason with them. But their big thing for them, though, is the big thing for them is if they had an ownership group who said we need to be a bigger presence in Latin America. I agree. Instead, they have an ownership group that has quite clearly said we need to we need to spend five thousand dollars i need to we need to spend five essentially the dodgers in latin america are limited to signing the 20 year old right who's been seen by everyone there and they and they have a scout who sees a little glimmer something and it's hey ruby de la rosa hey angel sanchez my they, personal cheese ball in the whole minor leagues I mean, they, they've Dominican had some guys who worked signing. out but essentially what they're doing is they're signing 
the $5,000 guy. No, that's right. I mean, and, but that has been going on for longer than just Frank McCourt. They have been really limited in Latin America for a good six to eight years. The White Sox, scandal. Diamondbacks, scandal. If you don't remember Tony Pena slash Ramon, whatever his name is, I forget. Uh, Rosario, Adrian Rosario um, are at the bottom. Orioles, scandal, and also a long track record of being ineffective in Latin America. In the last, so among uh, Connor Glassie did a study uh, where he just basically looked at all 40-man players plus some other guys and where did they come from, what's the profile of these guys, where do major leaguers come from. There were two players on 40-man rosters who had originally signed by the Orioles uh, in December 2011. Two, la- two international was, players. Two international, is that what I said? You said just two players. I'm sorry, two international players. They have more, they players, do have more than that. And two international signees, Koji Uhara, who was a big league free agent, and Pedro Florimon who's really the only Latin player they've produced in the last, like, ten years. Like, I, re- I remember writing about Pedro Florimon in the Appy League. It was a long time ago. It was before, like, most of the guys on the staff here worked here. Um, they just have been horrible in Latin America for a long time. And then it, it's been a, it's a shame. Nationals are 26th. Scandal. AIDS at 25. I mean, it hasn't really been a scandal. There's no the scandal, age, but, but... Michael Anoa is kind of a scandalous <laughs> signing, but scandalous for a different reason. Angels 24, scandal. Uh, Marlins 23, warlords. You know, <laughs> Saturday Night Live reference lost on uh, younger viewers or listeners. But you really start only to get there with the Marlins at 23, at the bottom where you stop running into scandals or ownership, lack of commitment, that kind of thing. That's that's where they just – and the Rockies are at 22. The Rockies and just choose not to I'll spend a ton this. of money. The Rockies are pretty – the Rockies and Phillies, to me, are the two Latin programs that are the most efficient – uh, they, they haven't really there hasn't been a whiff of scandal, and they've both produced uh, low-cost players for their major league clubs. Whether it's a guy like, like Carlos Ruiz, whether it's guys like Domingo Santana, who they were able to trade, but he was like one of their bigger signings for the Phillies at three hundred thirty thousand dollars, or whether it's the Rockies with guys like no, Juan Nicasio and yeah, Julius. Chassin. Now let me say, you don't have to be at the top of that list oh, yeah. to be doing it well in Latin America because oh, yeah. there's a lot of ways where you can say, okay, we're going to let. Other teams spend the, for the $2 million guy, and we're going to sign eight of the $150,000 right. guys. The Rockies and the Phillies are really the two examples, the best examples of clubs that prove you don't have to well, get dirty and you don't have to cheat, basically. Dying to cheat can't cheat. You don't have to cheat in Latin America to succeed, but they also prove how hard it is to go to Latin America, have a productive Latin American program, and not throw out a ton of money and get your hands dirty. I think that's. I think they prove that it can be done, but they also prove how hard it is to do because they've, they're well, hitting on guys like you're talking about who are not big this, money bonuses. But you also do have to remember with this, when we talk about with scouting, and we've you know we had the the ever never ending the college high school debate and all going back a ways. Wait, thankfully now a ways back. Right. But when you're talking about. Latin America, you're really talking in many ways. Imagine if you took that story and changed it to, I would say the equivalent is, okay, we're going to sign high school freshmen. Yeah. It's not the perfect equivalent right. age-wise. High school sophomores. But, sophomore you, but you really no. I'm saying freshmen or eighth graders, though. And the reason I say that is, is that in the U.S., with better health care, nutrition, and documentation – I would argue, argue that you know about as much if you said we're going to scout eighth graders. You that's about the same level of projection yeah. you have to make. It really because is. We know we're doing top thirties. How many guys have you written up, up that's like this guy signed for a little bit of money, and then they got him into the camp. He got to eat three meals a day. Right. They fixed. <laughs> you know, he had dental problems, and they fixed those. And they got him on a weight program, and he was throwing 84, and now he throws 96. Or, I mean, the case like last week at this college baseball series I went to, because those guys, those colleges, they signed guys who were 16-year-olds. They they signed high school sophomores and juniors sometimes. And when he was a high school junior, DeAndre Smelter was maybe the top player in the state of Georgia on the high school side. He wasn't number one, he was number two. The next year when he's a senior, there's six players drafted. They don't in the sign first them round. up, but they get commitments at that point. Right. No, they do sign them to a no. scholarship. I mean, they know. They, you can't sign them to a scholarship well, as a pretty, sophomore. They, you you're sign right, them, you, get get a ver- you, you do a commitment. Right. They just just to clarify. Strong, you're right, but they get pretty strong commitments from these guys right. as no. sophomores. Right. Um, and so they're, they're, they're doing the same thing. Uh, they're not putting as much money behind it. But, um, but so DeAndre Smelter, when he's a junior, he's the top guy. And then the next year, there's six guys drafted, I guess five high school players drafted in the first round of Georgia. DeAndre Smelter goes in the 14th round. Here, two years later, he's not even traveling for Georgia Tech when they go on the road in their first conference series. 
He just hasn't progressed any, and it's not because he's not eating enough or whatever. Right. You know, he's got a right. lot of so advantages. That's what I'm saying is, is that so it's, I'm agreeing with you. It's very, it's hard, it's hard domestically when there are fewer variables. It's even harder, I think, in Latin America when there are a few more variables. And that just just tells you how difficult that job is, and why I think I actually respect what the Phillies and Rockies do the most in Latin America because they don't spend like crazy. They don't put five million dollars on a 16 year old, and I I think it's kind of crazy to put five million dollars on a 16 year old. I really do. Next question. Uh, this is from Pan Goli. Draft Jameson Tyone or Carlos Martinez in a minor league fantasy draft? I would say Jameson Tyone. And Carlos Martinez is pretty exciting. Uh, but we've seen over the course of our careers at Baseball America, JJ, a lot of smallish Latin American pitchers with really live arms and great fastballs and gets really excited in low A ball and then wind up being Juan Cruz. They wind up being big league relievers. Uh, there's a de- there's a pitch it's a pitchability deficit. Those guys are not signed for their pitchability. They're signed for their uh, arm strength. That happens in the United States. It happens in Latin America. But the, to me, it's more much more likely that Carlos Martinez follows either the Ramon Ortiz or Juan Cruz pitching uh, future, and that Jameson Tyone becomes a, at least a mid rotation or front of the, the rotation starter. The, so I would take Jameson Tyone. I would agree with you, but the reason and the reason I would say is is that if I've got a choice between one guy who is the kind of the smallish guy yeah. and another guy who is basically a horse. I, I'm going with the big guy in general. Like Luck, Lucky for uh, for Jamison Tyon, he's not uh, on an HBO show if he's a yeah. horse. That would be, that would be bad. Yeah. That would be ugly. Um, but, I like Carlos Martinez quite a bit. Oh, I like both. I, I would but be happy with either of them, but if you give but, me the choice of the two. I'm, yeah, if you're picking one of those two guys, I'm picking Carlos Martinez. I mean, um, Jamison Tyon, you mean? Jamison Well, yeah, exactly. Thank you, Jamison Tyon. I, I, I would still, that said... Carlos Martinez, uh, if you can get both of them in your fantasy league draft, get them both. Yes. <laughs> Edge your bets. Uh, but I think we're both in the Tyone uh, camp on that one. You got another question? Um, yeah, mine's a more of an American League question, but we'll take it to Jimbo, at Jimbo underscore OTR. Jimbo asks, will Robbie Ross be the left-handed situational reliever for the Rangers? I refuse, by the way, to participate in making Lugie part of the baseball lexicon. I mean, come on. We can do better than that. Um but I, I don't think Robbie Ross is what they're looking at. But I think that audition is going to be going on for a long time for the Rangers because their aspiration is not necessarily just to be good in April. It's to be good in October. And their level of expectations is higher. So I think Robbie Ross will get a shot. Um, I think the left-handed situa- situational reliever for the Rangers will wind up being someone who is not currently in the Rangers organization. Uh, I, and I, think, I do think that the guy who you're going to see in April is uh, – Getting the lefty out of the pen is going to be Michael Kirkman. That's possible. Uh, it sounds like he hasn't had a great spring. Not a great spring, but I think I think they still, you know, I think he's going to get an opportunity. But I think I would not be shocked at all. Also, the Rangers could very well do what they did last year. They right. have the pieces in the minor leagues to where they, the first couple of months, can be an audition. I mean, they are. We'll talk about it next week in the podcast, but, man, if you want to talk about a, a team that is pretty stacked, like if you look at them, it, we talk about it with the Rays a lot, and you say, well, look at that rotation. Yeah. The, the fact that Alexio Gondo is going back to the pen. Right. That's pretty amazing. There are a lot of teams where Alexio Gondo, there would be no thought of putting him in the pen. Yeah, I mean, there there are a lot of teams where he might be their number one starter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were just talking about the Orioles. Uh, we were talking about the. I think he'd be the top starter for the Pirates. Pirates. A lot of teams. Well, where in the you, League. you give him to the Royals? Where does he? You know. I don't know my Royals as well as you do. So. Uh, I'd say front end. Yeah, he's 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 at least number two. I'm I don't know who the Royals' uh, projected number one is. I guess it's Luke, Bruce Chen. Luke, Luke Hochev and Bruce Chen, I believe, will start in the first two days of the season. I, would, I, I think I'd, I'd take Bruce have... Chen. <laughs> no, I would take uh, Alexi Ogonda. I mean, Robbie Ross was good in a limited look in Double A last year against left-handers. He did lock those guys down. You look at his stuff. You look at his profile. And I think that that may be he, his long-term role for them. Yeah, I mean, he held guys that was a 142 batting average against the double A, and it was 177 in high A. So uh, clearly he had – and you look at his the profile of his stuff, solid fastball, but you know, he spins a breaking ball. He's always spun a breaking ball. So, yeah, I could see Robbie Ross in that role. I still think that, that you know – the Rangers would uh, – I don't think he starts the year in their big league bullpen when they have no, other veteran so. guys. I don't think so either. Uh, uh, guys who are ahead of him on the, on the pecking order on the 40-man roster already. Uh, veteran guys like Joe Bimel, who I know is having an uh, iffy spring with his but health. But Joe Bimel, that's, you, he's the kind of guy, again, that you 
you give an April, May, and That's you right. say, okay, either you – because Joe Biden's had some really good years. Right. Joe Biden's had some not so good years. And they have a guy in, in Koji Uhara who's got a good splitty a right-hander who can face left-handers. Uh, so uh, I don't think so, I guess is my answer to my question. I don't think that's going to be Robbie Ross's role to, for most of 2012. Could he be that guy getting those outs in October for them, though? Yeah, he could be. He could be the guy coming out of their bullpen uh, to get those outs in the postseason because I think we both think the Rangers are headed for the postseason. But we're going to talk more about that, I guess, in the next podcast. We'll do the American League, and then we'll also, J.J., talk organization rankings. we got to do that uh, podcast coming up sometime soon. Cause we might have a double. We might just two, do two next week. We might have to. And then I think we'll uh, – well, I don't think. I know we'll have a college podcast on Monday sponsored by ATEC. I get to read that copy again three times on Monday. And as usual, we'll take your questions. Uh, but do we have a Joe podcast. before we wrap up? Did we, I thought you said we had a Joe LaCates question. We have we? two Joe LaCates questions. Well, we'll answer one of them. All right, we'll tell you, this is a National League question. Anthony Rendon spending, spending some time at short this spring. He's sure Wayne Graham thinks he can pick it. Any real shot? Uh, I don't think they play shortstop uh, in the major leagues. It, it sounds like they're going to give him time to play shortstop in the minor leagues this year. Put it this way, he's more of a shortstop than Rick Haig, who's also played with him at Rice and is in the – uh, Nationals farm system right now, and when Ray, uh, when Rendon was a sophomore at Rice, I think he, uh, I forget the stat. I think it was the last twenty three games of the year he didn't make an error. Five of those games were at shortstop. Uh, if we had a minor, if we had a college Gold Glove, he would have been the Gold Glove winner at third base as a sophomore. It wouldn't have been a contest. I think he made six errors the whole season. Um, he played shortstop in college. The, I've talked to scouts who love the hands. Love the footwork. I thought the other scouts who don't like his lower half. He doesn't look like Chesler or Cuthbert physically, mm-hmm. but that it's a little bit bigger lower half, and they wonder if he has the footwork for it. And to me, I would not, you know, it's a good sign that he's doing that in spring training, J.J. It means they have faith in his arm and that his arm and his shoulder are healthy. I, I don't see that as an option long term, but uh, I, I, don't, I don't completely rule it out. He uh, might I, hit enough to play there. Uh, I'll put it this way. I, I think the, the more important thing for them is, is he's going to play a little. Sounds like a little bit of multiple positions. Yeah, I'll be very interested to see the position, the the, play, the uh, bats, you know, and the the play in the field at second because the reality is is that right now the the Nationals may have a need there soon at second base or shortstop at second base because uh, yeah because there's some question. Okay, is Ian Desmond going to be our their guy long term? If not, yeah, it's short. It's short. Is Danny Espinosa your answer? at short. If so, would you rather have Steve come come August, September? Would you rather have Steve Lombardozzi or Anthony Rendon in the lineup? That's a good question, and uh, it, I think it depends on what their major league team looks like, what their needs are. Because if you just need somebody to you know make the routine play and to turn double plays, Steve you're going to go Steve Lombardozzi. I don't think it's likely to see Anthony Rendon turning big league double plays at second base in 2012, maybe 2013. But I think he needs. I think he needs reps. I know that's the only way you. The only way we'll know if he can do that is if he gets some reps. All these things said, I think he's better suited to play second base than say Dustin Ackley, who's a outfielder, first baseman, more of a first it baseman. It has become second base has become the position. It's become the the catcher. Of it's the, like the uh, 1920s though. Right now for second base, it's like we're just looking for a bat there, and you could go go play second base and. If you're okay there, because Jason Kipnis is never going to win a Gold Glove, and neither is Dustin but Ackley. Jason Kipnis, Dustin Ackley. Now we got Eddie Rosario's trying it. You know, we've got oh, that's right, a converted guys though. Yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's like oh, we got a good bat, and we're trying to figure out where he profiles. I'll oh, put him a second. Well, I do think. Uh, er, know, I mean, years, it didn't work out for him, but uh, for years it's been the college shortstop who moved over there. But I'm saying, but now, like, also we had with the Indians, uh, Crow. Also, Trevor Crow did it too. He tried, tried and failed. failed. Not everyone makes it, but I'm saying it is that it's become a. It's become a trend, much like the the Dodgers taking the slowest middle infielder with a great arm and right. making him a catcher. Right, right. And uh, you know, I, I don't know if you'd say that Dustin Pedroia. I mean, to me, there was this long period where the college shortstop, like an Adam Kennedy, guys were great college shortstop, all America shortstops on our college all America team. They all moved over to second base, and that's also in Connor Glassy's story, um, which is going to be a lot more uh, in, in fullness online. It's really kind of more. We almost should present that as a PowerPoint presentation. But it does show you that most of your big league second basemen played college, and they usually played college at a different position. And then the vast majority of your major league shortstops are signed out of Latin America, and there are like three regulars uh, who are out of college uh, at major league shortstops, like Troy Tulowitzki and uh, two other uh, fringe pieces, if I'm remembering. Yeah, I'm trying to even think one. what the other two are. But yeah. I can't even think of who the other two guys are. Um, one of them but was no, that's extra the thing. fringy. That's the, that's the thing is, is any time you have a college shortstop who – can hit a little bit, who has the tools to be a, a, a big league shortstop, it's 
considered almost an exception. Jason Bartlett is one of the other college shortstops. He went to Oklahoma, and I cannot think of the other guy. But that's driving me crazy. But that is, but that is like that. That was really kind of that's been kind of the Devin Marrero calling card, has it not? In many ways. Yes, it is the Devin Marrero calling card. It's and like, hey, this guy is a college shortstop, and he can play shortstop. Right, and it's also the reason why Francisco Lindor was such a valued prospect and commodity in last year's uh, 2011 draft because he's a true shortstop out of the high school ranks, and that's why he went eighth overall, even though there's some questions, again, about how impactful his bat's going to be. Is he going to be a seven- or eight-hole hitter, uh, American League a nine-hole hitter, or is he going to be a guy who can hit early in the lineup? Uh, great questions, again, uh, on the on the Twitter, and, again, if you want to, you can email podcast at baseballamerica.com. And, and do also remember, if, you, if you're not following us on Facebook, just head to uh, just you know type in Baseball America at the top of your uh, Facebook and, and yeah, we've like been us. more We've been more active on the face on Facebook uh, in the last month or two, and uh, I, I definitely we're going to do that. coming up the, and all that. We want a discussion. We, we've got it's during the minor league season. I think that's going to be very active as the season goes on. So we, we do we appreciate the download. We appreciate the listen. We'll be back on Monday with the college podcast. We'll be back with at least one, maybe two podcasts next week as we talk American League, Major League Preview. And, again, we have our organization talent rankings, which is a very exciting. We always That's enjoyable always. It is. It'll be a fun podcast. I think we might even drag Jim Callis in that, into that one. I think we have to. You know, I think so. so. But, well, again, thanks again for the listen, and we will talk to you again next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.